0: It's 11 o'clock. I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. The National Security Committee hands police new powers and sets punishments for those who fail to cooperate with the city's new law. Facebook and WhatsApp say they'll stop handling requests for information on their users from the Hong Kong authorities and Hong Kong records another locally acquired COVID-19 case. The government says anyone who publishes a message endangering national security on electronic platforms and fails to remove them, as ordered by the authorities, can be jailed for up to one year. And as Candice Wong reports, political organisations in Taiwan that fail to provide information to Hong Kong authorities in national security cases now face prosecution.
1: The SAR government says it has finalised the plan that stipulates how much the police can do in handling cases about national security after the Committee for Safeguarding National Security held its first meeting. It says the system is drawn up under Article 43 of the newly enacted law, which gives the panel power to make relevant implementation rules for the police force. On electronic messages deemed to be endangering national security on electronic platforms, Police can ask those who publish them to remove, restrict or stop anyone from receiving them. It says as much as the police chief needs to ask for the permission from security secretary for that, platform and network providers are also covered by the rule. And if the individuals who published the messages cannot cooperate at once, leading to the possibility that the public would be seriously affected online, police can ask the magistrates to issue warrants to seize relevant electronic equipment. And officers can also ask for court warrants to demand service providers hand over records about anyone's identity or help in decoding. Individuals who fail to comply with the police request can face a fine of up to $100,000 and jailed for one year. For service providers, they face the same amount of fine but six months of imprisonment. Political parties in foreign countries or in Taiwan face $100,000 and six months in jail if they fail to give Hong Kong police information thought to be relating to the national security cases. The government says police can write to political parties or their agents in overseas and in Taiwan, demanding them hand in the information they need to the police commissioner, such as someone's personal particulars, activities, assets and income statements. And if false or incomplete information are involved, they face a fine of $100,000 and two years in jail. Under Article 43 of the law, a political organization of a foreign country or outside the mainland Hong Kong and Macau or an agent of authorities of the organization could be asked to provide information without mentioning those from Taiwan.
0: Facebook and its messaging service WhatsApp say they're suspending the processing of requests for information on their users from Hong Kong's government and law enforcement authorities. The move is in response to the SAR's new national security law. Tom McAlinden has
2: details. A Facebook company spokesman said in a statement that a pause in handling any requests for information on users will take place pending further assessment of the new national security law. He said the review would include formal human rights due diligence and consultations with human rights experts. The statement added, We believe freedom of expression is a fundamental human right and support the rights of people to express themselves without fear for their safety or other repercussions. In light of the sweeping security law Beijing enacted for Hong Kong last week, some SAR residents say they've been going through their previous posts on social media, deleting any they think could be viewed as sensitive. Digital rights group Pro Privacy says Facebook's move is a win for both digital privacy and human rights in the region, and it's great to see big tech companies pushing back in favour of democracy and freedom of expression. But it also warned that the move could lead to Facebook and WhatsApp being banned in Hong Kong like they are on the mainland. Police
0: have arrested eight people after protesters gathered in the APM mall in Guntong this evening, some of them chanting independent slogans. Demonstrators held up blank sheets of white paper, saying the national security law has brought white terror to the city. Police say they arrested three males and five females aged between 17 and 68 on suspicion of unauthorised assembly and obstructing officers. Hong Kong has seen another locally acquired COVID-19 case. The patient is a colleague of a man who works at a restaurant in Choi Hong whose infection was announced yesterday. The Centre for Health Protection says the latest patient is a 30-year-old man. Hong Kong has also recorded another 16 COVID-19 infections among people who recently came back from overseas. You're listening to RTHK. It's five minutes past 11. The first person charged under Hong Kong's national security law has been denied bail by West Kowloon Court. The magistrate cited a controversial clause in the new legislation for his decision. Timmy Sung reports. Tong
3: Kit is accused of terrorism and inciting secession following his arrest during protests on Hong Kong Island on July 1st. The 23-year-old appeared in court in a wheelchair. He had not made it to a hearing on Friday because he was in hospital. The court heard that the cook is accused of crashing a motorcycle into a group of police officers in Wan Chai. He was also allegedly displaying a flag that read "Liberate Hong Kong, Revolution of Our Times." The case was adjourned until October 6th to give the police more time to investigate. Chief Magistrate Victor So refused to grant Mr. Tong bail, citing Article 42 of the National Security Law. This bail can only be granted if the court has sufficient grounds to believe that the defendant will not continue to commit acts endangering national security.
0: Police Commissioner Chris Tang says the new national security law is already proving to have a big deterrent effect and activists who are anti-China and cause chaos in Hong Kong are backing down. Timmy Sung again. In
4: the
0: The police chief told state broadcaster CCTV that
3: with the new law, the force now had a legal basis to tackle crimes they couldn't in the past year during often violent anti-government protests. Chris Tang said there was ample evidence showing the law was already deterring some anti-China activists.
4: A person who once said he was proud
3: to be arrested along with other teenagers now says advocating Hong Kong independence is dangerous and violence should not be used. A person who advocated localism now tells you the idea was hijacked by independence advocates and now he is quitting the social movement, he said. The police commissioner said he believed the law could help maintain social stability and had boosted the force's confidence in safeguarding national security. A secret police department has been set up to investigate offenses linked to national security. Ten people were arrested during protests on Wednesday on suspicion of violating the new law, a day after it was passed in Beijing.
0: U.S. Consul General Hanscom Smith says Washington hasn't ruled out further sanctions to pressure Beijing into revoking Hong Kong's national security law. As Maggie Ho reports, the diplomat says it's a tragedy the way Beijing is using the security legislation to erode fundamental freedoms and create an atmosphere of coercion and self-censorship.
5: The United States has imposed export restrictions on Hong Kong and tightened visa requirements for mainland officials who it says are undermining the SAR's high degree of autonomy. The U.S. Congress has also unanimously passed an act threatening further sanctions against China, which is pending President Trump's approval. This includes penalizing banks doing business with officials who implemented Hong Kong's new security law. Mr. Smith said Washington is looking into other possible sanctions. He did not disclose details, but denied any sanctions on Hong Kong and the mainland would backfire on the U.S. economy.
6: Our interest uh, is fundamentally ensuring that Hong Kong enjoys uh, the high degree of autonomy uh, that it was promised. That's worked very well. Uh, for us, um, uh, including um, in our economic and uh, trade interests. Uh, So I think that uh, our position now, of course, is very consistent with that. Uh, Hong Kong is successful precisely because of its autonomy. It's a fantastic business hub and trading partner because of a high degree of autonomy
5: mainland officials have criticized the u.s. for what they call its meddling in hong kong affairs but the consul general categorically denied this
6: we reject uh, any accusation that we are somehow uh, meddling the people uh, here in hong kong uh, are very capable of understanding uh, their own uh, interests and uh, when you look at uh, what uh, protesters have been concerned about uh, in many cases it's simply the continued erosion uh, of hong kong's uh, autonomy we support uh, the right of a peaceful protest. We oppose all forms uh, of violence. And Hong Kong has its own institutions and structures uh, for addressing these kinds of issues. They should be allowed to work. Uh, as I said before, simply let Hong Kong be Hong Kong.
5: When asked what advice he would give U.S. businesses in Hong Kong, Mr. Smith said the Consulate General will watch closely to see how the new security law affects issues like data security, intellectual property protection and the free flow of information.
0: The government says it firmly rejects Mr. Smith's remarks on the national security law. A statement said Chief Secretary Matthew Zheng and Security Secretary John Lee met the Consul General today to express their grave concern over the matter. Pro-democracy activist Agnes Chow has pleaded guilty to two illegal assembly charges in connection with a major protest outside police headquarters in Wan Chai last year. But her former party mates from the now disbanded Sisto, Joshua Wong and Ivan Lam, deny any wrongdoing. Priscilla Ng reports.
7: Agnes Chow pleaded guilty at Eastern Magistracy to participating in and inciting others to take part in an unlawful assembly on June the twenty-first last year. But Joshua Wong denied charges of organizing, inciting and taking part in an illegal assembly, while Ivan Lam denied inciting others to participate in an unlawful assembly. The case has been adjourned to August the 5th, when the court is expected to hand down its punishment for Miss Chow. Meanwhile, a pretrial review is expected to get underway on this date for the case against the other two activists.
0: The government's proposing the introduction of new criminal offences to specifically outlaw voyeurism and sharing intimate videos without the consent of those filmed. Wendy Wong has details.
8: The lack of specific offences hasn't stopped arrests and prosecutions over various acts of voyeurism. Between 2015 and 2018, for example, more than 70% of those convicted of assessing a computer with criminal intent had either taken pictures up women's skirts or put intimate images on the internet without permission. In a paper submitted to the Legislative Council, the Security Bureau suggests new criminal offences of voyeurism, intimate prying and non-consensual photography of people's intimate parts, either when they're fully exposed or only covered by underwear. The Bureau also proposes an offence covering the distribution of images of intimate acts without people's consent, even if consent was given at the time the photo or video was taken. It says this is in response to complaints from people whose naked images were distributed by former partners, so-called revenge porn. The government will carry out a three-month public consultation on the proposed new offences.
0: The Coroner's Court has found that the deaths of two people killed when their speeding car smashed into a makeshift police roadblock in 2018 were an accident. But, as Maggie Ho reports, the force has been told to consider reminding officers that internal rules say they mustn't block traffic when intercepting vehicles.
5: The force came under heavy criticism after an officer was said to have told at least three vehicles to stop on Fenling Highway and used them as human shield when colleagues told him to stop a speeding seven-seater. The seven-seater's driver and passenger died when their car crashed into the roadblock. Three people in the other vehicles were injured and the officer also spent three days in hospital. He admitted during the coroner's inquest that he had forgotten the internal guidelines which forbid officers from blocking traffic when intercepting vehicles. Delivering his ruling, the coroner's court told the police to consider putting in place regular training courses for officers to refresh their memory on internal rules and make it mandatory for officers to ask their senior for instructions when intercepting vehicles.
0: The government says more than 3 million people have now received their $10,000 handouts. The first batch has gone out to those who registered online through their banks last month. Officials say more payouts will be coming in the next day or two. The Chinese ambassador to the United Kingdom has warned Britain that it will face the consequences if it decides to treat China as an enemy. In a wide-ranging news conference covering the growing areas of disagreement between the two countries, Liu Xiaoming said the Chinese technology company Huawei would prosper, even if Britain decided against using its 5G technology. He also criticised London's plan to offer a path to citizenship for approximately 3 million people in Hong Kong following the introduction of the new security law.
9: These moves constitute a gross interference in China's internal affairs and openly trample on the basic norms governing international relations. The Chinese side has lost solemn representation to the UK side to express its grave concern and the strong opposition. I want to emphasize that Hong Kong is a part of China. Hong Kong affairs China's internal affairs and brook no external interference.
0: A reminder of our top stories tonight, the National Security Committee hands police new powers and sets punishments for those who fail to cooperate with the city's new law. Facebook and WhatsApp say they'll stop handling requests for information on their users from the Hong Kong authorities and Hong Kong records another locally acquired COVID-19 case. The news from RTHK. RTHK It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. The chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organisation, Mervyn Cheung, says it's reasonable for the government to ask schools to remove any books and teaching materials that could violate the national security law. The Education Bureau says schools should do so in a timely manner and make sure materials do not involve crimes or actions that are unacceptable. It also says students should be taught about their responsibility to safeguard national security. Jim Gould asked Mr Cheung whether schools are in a position to know which books may be in violation of the new law.
10: The new national security law has, has, has become a fact. So uh, we, well, we need to comply with it. And then to, to me it's the right move for schools to conduct a, a review of the stock of books and reading materials uh, they have to ensure the school personnel and students won't be involved unknowing, uh, unknowingly in, uh, in illegal things under the new uh, national security law and uh and of course for schools doing it um uh there's in fact a conventional practice of course previously not uh, not a concern that too much with the uh, with the question of uh, national security because every year in schools there usually reviews of books and reading materials in possession and those uh, to be bought which are uh, you know tasks which is coordinated by the school librarian who has to ensure that um, the books involved do not carry elements of say indecency and obscenity which are not suitable for primary and secondary school students um, in the stage of uh, development knowledge and maturity. And of course, uh, you know, back to the question of uh, national security, maybe they have some difficulty in judging whether or not uh, such elements are involved in, 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 the, in the new purchases. So some kind of professional and also legal advice might, might need to be um, Provided by the EDB, uh, by the Education Bureau, the EDB, on a coordinator basis. Mm-hmm.
0: So, would you expect them to take a, a very cautious approach on this issue?
10: Well, uh, of course. Uh, given that uh, it's, a, uh, well, it's a new t- initiative, they, they they might become a bit cautious. Uh, you know, over what to to buy, what, what to give up, to, or what, what not to be put on 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 the bookshelves and you know, or in their collection. So uh, I think, of course, you know, in in buying books or in uh, discarding the old ones, there is normally um, some kind of a proper approach in that uh, school. Uh, you know, teachers of different subjects would would gather together to make a, to kick a uh, to make a collective judgment.
0: We've seen public libraries take at least nine titles written by localists or democracy advocates uh, out of circulation pending a review. So um, do you think this might become something of a trend?
10: Now, uh, for public libraries, similar, similarly, uh, there's a regular review of of their collection, and in the past, it's been reported by the by the press media that they, uh, uh, their collections uh, did carry books uh, not suitable for for this kind of you know public uh, borrowing because of of the uh, you know, the indecent or, or you know obscene nature of of the materials that uh, that are published. So, uh, I think it's it's good for them to to do uh, to do some kind of a regular review of the collection, in order to ensure that um, uh, they they won't be uh, they won't be involved in the in kind of uh, uh, what what is considered uh, you know acts against the, uh, the the new national security law.
0: The pro-democracy camp has urged people to vote in its primary held this weekend for September's legislative election. The camp insists those who organise or participate in the exercise would not violate the national security law. Francis Sitt has the story.
7: The pro-democracy camp is trying to come up with a list of candidates to run in the upcoming Leshko polls. The camp set its goal on winning 35 seats or more. They said they want to push for democratic reforms by vetoing government plans and the budget. But concerns are mounting on whether it's legal to organize, participate or even vote in this weekend's primaries now that the national security law is in force. Questions are raised as to whether paralyzing government operations amounts to subversion of state power and manipulation of local elections with the help of outside entities could be deemed as collusion with foreign forces. But legal scholar Benny Tai, who helps organize the primaries, insists the exercise is entirely legal, at least according to his common law understanding of the national security law.
9: The return of the budget is a power given by the Basic Law to the Legislative Council. And there are other powers the Legislative Council enjoyed under the Basic Law to make the government accountable. I just cannot see how that can be an unlawful means. And that's a condition before anything can be said to be secession. And also the whole process we are now conducting relied on funds that we collected locally. So that's no connection with any foreign bodies.
7: On Saturday and Sunday, people can vote via their smartphones or paper ballots at 251 polling stations set up across the city, mostly in the offices of district councillors. People need to bring along proof of their address or other documents to show that they are from that constituency. The primaries will cover the five geographical constituencies, the so-called district council supersedes and the health services sector. Professor Tai also stressed the need for a high turnout amid fears candidates could be disqualified by the government later.
9: I think the authorities want to use the rule of fear to suppress any different views. And exactly how we can counteract the rule of fear is by doing the things we believe to be right. The more people coming out to vote, that will give more legitimacy for the whole process, and that will ensure all parties who participate will be bound by the agreement they have made.
7: The Occupy co-founder said the teams would discuss what to do next if there is a low turnout for the primaries.
0: At the start of the coronavirus pandemic, India seemed to have some success in limiting the spread of COVID-19, particularly given its vast population. At the end of April, it had less than 35,000 cases, but that figure has now leapt to 690,000, meaning India has overtaken Russia as the third most infected country in the world. So what went wrong? Here's the BBC's Anbarasan Ethirajan.
4: When they started relaxing some of these restrictions, what happened was people started congregating again. See, one problem was the test number of tests how many tests you conduct because health experts would insist that test 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 so that you can do the test do the tracing and then you can isolate those people and treat but india was not doing enough tests even now uh, people are saying the test rates are very very low and when the restrictions were relaxed people started you know moving to markets like a fish market or vegetable markets and again that triggered more problems so they had to reimpose lockdowns in cities like chennai they went through second lockdown Because it was also difficult to explain people about social distancing measures. If you're a low-income family, how can you live separately if you have any symptoms? Because most people will be living in one-bedroom or two-bedroom houses. So there are logistical issues and also the government authorities were initially not really active in, in, in terms of finding people, the contact tracing and doing more tests. The authorities, uh, what they are saying is, you know, many people have commented saying, you know, indirectly that we have to live with the virus because a country like India cannot afford to stay in a lockdown mode for a long time because many people complained that if we don't die of coronavirus, we will die of hunger because we have, you know, 100 million people depending on the daily wages. They have to find work so that they can find their meal. It is a huge country, you know, with the different uh, rules for different regions, with 1.3 billion people. And the government is trying its best. What now they're doing is like increasing the number of centres, for example, in the capital Delhi. Uh, they, they opened a 10,000 bed a care centre uh, for those uh, living in Delhi. And these are having a cardboard beds. But it doesn't seem to be that, that uh, numbers are coming down. For example, in states like Maharashtra and in Tamil Nadu and Delhi, the numbers keep going up. The government is also focusing on other issues, for example, border tensions with China. And also, it has to revive the economy. And it is also they have this federal structure where various state governments, they have their own issues to sort. For example, they're having having fund crunches. They're asking the federal government to help them. And once they get the money, they hope that they can improve the situation.
0: The Australian states of Victoria and New South Wales, two of the country's most populous, are shutting their joint border to contain a resurgence of coronavirus infections in Victoria. It's the first border closure in the country since the Spanish flu pandemic a century ago. Officials in Melbourne have also placed nine public housing estates with 3,000 residents in lockdown. RTHK's Australia correspondent, Jerry Gannon, told Anna-Marie Evans why Melbourne is in such a dire situation. Well,
11: some of these cases have come in from other places including overseas coming back home, people coming back coming back home. Um, Victoria has been quite stringent all along and I, I, I think if it hadn't been so stringent the situation would be worse as it is today 127 new cases of COVID-19 and that's the highest daily total so far. The previous record was 111. That was back in March. So authorities on both sides of the border are taking some unprecedented action. The border is going to be closed between New South Wales and Victoria, as you heard and that, uh, as you mentioned, that's the first time since the the, um, the Spanish flu that, uh, that that has happened. And uh, residents in places like Aubrey-Wodonga, which are two towns that straddle the border, which is the Murray River. They, you know, traditionally they come back and forth on a daily basis. You know, particularly on one side there might be pubs on the one side that they like to go to, at cafes. Uh, they're going to have to have to get permits now to uh, to be able to do that. The unfortunate thing is that numbers are expected uh, to uh, to rise. Uh, today, 10 new cases were confirmed in New South Wales, and all of those were in returned travellers. So. You know, it's important that uh, the the government are actually quite stringent in making sure that returned travellers are quarantined uh, so that they don't spread this highly infectious uh, disease. Now, um, the Premier of New South Wales, Gladys Berejiklian, she um, for weeks actually had had, uh, been resisting calls to close the state's borders. She changed her, her stance quite rapidly today because of the circumstances in Victoria. There was a hookup between her, her counterpart in Daniel Andrews in Victoria and the Prime Minister, and uh, and those arrangements were uh, put in place. Now, you know, there's a level of frustration because residents on both sides uh, of both states, Victoria, Uh, And new South Wales are coming to terms with these new regulations. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of because this whole thing is completely new. There's no manual that uh, authorities can go to. So while um, the police and and other agencies are trying to figure things out, people are getting antsy. You know, so there's uh, there's there's a bit of angst, a a lot of angst around.
8: Indeed, and uh, I mean it's, it's, logistically it's quite difficult, you mentioned of course the border towns but there are about 50 border crossings, you know, even minor roads or major roads that, that uh, go between these two states, so how is that going to be monitored?
11: Well there are 55 crossings between the two states um, and the border itself stretches um, I think over a thousand kilometres. Now, the police on the New South Wales side, they're going to actually coordinate uh, the uh, the crossings together with the armed forces. The Australian defence personnel will also be uh, out there policing. The reason that the Victorians uh, police aren't involved in this is because they've got their hands full at the moment. They've got their hands full with this outbreak you know with, uh, with um, 127 new cases and most of these new cases are there's three towers that have been effectively put on uh, put on lockdown that's about uh, nine towers if to your pardon that's about 3000 people now many of these people they they come from diverse ethnic communities and many of these people have fled persecution uh, on their own homeland, and about about two hundred of these are Chinese migrants, and the majority are, 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 are over are over sixty and and, and uh, outrage today over the racist uh, politician Pauline Hansen on television casting uh, casting aspersions—I always use that word jokingly, aspersions—but aspersions on these people in these nine towers. She was immediately fired from her position as a commentator on one of the morning TV programs, and probably not before time. I think many people would agree. So um, uh, that's the the situation. So the, the upside is, you know, there's a great spirit in Australia. Locals all around these nine towers have been coming together to provide food and other support to those in lockdown, particularly from the Muslim community. They've they've come together uh, to provide support. They did this a couple of weeks ago for another uh, where there was another uh, lockdown area. So <clears throat> there's a lot of goodwill, and there's a lot of good things happening in the midst of this crisis.
0: Those stories were part of the news Rap program, which was broadcast on RTHK
2: earlier this evening.
0: Todd Harding from our newsroom.
2: The Community Care Fund has launched the Living Subsidy Program for eligible non-public housing and non-CSSA low-income households to relieve their financial pressure. Applications are being handled in phases. One-person households can submit their applications from now until the 30th of November in person or by mail to designated service units. For details, please visit the Community Care Fund website or call 2180-6666.
8: Live
5: across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3.
11: January to December, we'll have moments to read.
0: Absolutely. Moments to remember. Nostalgia all the way until 1am with Ray Codero.
8: On a a song, The Green Leaves of Summer. Johnny
0: Pearson, his guitar, and his orchestra, introducing nostalgia from now until 1 a.m. And now with the spotlight on good old Gordon McRae.
11: So